Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 163 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by Mr. Ayaz Sumra. Ayaz, how you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Of course, it's a humongous week of boxing. This Saturday will be mammoth in the boxing world. So let's waste no time. Let's get straight into the review part. Let's start last week. It actually happened last Thursday. A card that took place in the Hilton Hotel in a place called Cartagena in Colombia. Um, we saw Dalis Perez move to 34 wins. He's got four losses and two draws. A knockout in round seven of a scheduled eight against Felipe Larez, who now has a record of nine and seven with one draw. Um, a nice easy win there for Dalis Perez. Moving now to Denmark at the Fredericksburg Hallen in Copenhagen. We saw Dmitry Chudinov, former opponent of Chris Eubank Jr. Um, his record 21 and 3 with two draws. He took on Patrick Mendy, a man that Callum Smith, I remember, knocked out in one round. Um, you know, he's a lot better than his record suggests, but he's not fantastic. His record's 17 and 13 with three draws going in. You'd expect Chudinov to beat him easily. No, no, no. Patrick Mendy caused a humongous upset here. An eighth round unanimous decision for Patrick Mendy. So that's another loss there on Dmitry Chudinov's record. But that's really it for that one. Now moving out to Monte Carlo. Um, we're going to start here with Daniel Yelusinov. He moved to 5 and 0, a knockout in the third round, a TKO against Mark. Marcos Mojica, who now has a record of 16 and 3 with two draws. You know, Yelusinov looked okay. I think he's improving a little bit. I think when he first turned pro, I think everyone was a little bit quick to say, you know, he's not so good, he's not so good. He won this Olympic gold medal. He's supposed to be blowing people away. And there was something, I think, that kind of was a bit lacking. There was something not quite there. I mean, he has had quite a busy time since he's turned over. I mean, he's boxed all over the world, so to speak, in America. I think he boxed he boxed at York Hall. He's now boxed here in Monte Carlo. So he's really getting his apprenticeship going. But um, I think he looked okay here, actually. I think he dealt with his opponent pretty well. And the guy wasn't an awful fighter either, so I didn't mind that, that fight there. Uh, moving up the card once again, we saw Michael Hunter, my good friend. He moved to 16-1. and He also picked up the vacant WBA international heavyweight title. He took on Alexander Ustinov on just about nine days' notice. I remember him. He called me up um, when the fight got offered to him, and he said, what do you think about this? Do you reckon I should take this fight? And i got to be honest. I said to him, no, I don't think you've got enough time to prepare for it you know you're you've just fought the other week I don't think you should take it and um, you know he didn't listen to my advice and thankfully he didn't because he went out there he won every round and then he ended up knocking Ustinov out in devastating fashion he now becomes a second man in 37 fights to stop Ustinov um, the other guy of course was Pulev Pulev did it in 11 rounds and Michael Hunter on 9 days notice did it in the ninth round unbelievable and also to think that those 5 weeks Weeks in between his last fight against Bacoli and this fight here, two of those weeks he spent far 
past him in order to try and get his body to recover quicker because he had both of his eyes cut in that fight against Piccoli. It is incredible. Michael Hunter is made of some different stuff. Um, the fight itself, I mean, the first round was a good round for Michael Hunter. I think he was jabbing to the body of Ustinov a lot to try and, you know, tire the older man out. The tactics were good. Michael also got through with two big right hands during that first round. Nothing meaningful landed by Ustinov whatsoever. Definitely a Michael Hunter round, but like I say, immediately you could see the size difference was so clear. Michael was doing well though, you know, he was he was doing well to get up close to Ustinov. The jab from Ustinov wasn't really there, and he was able to get very close to him. In the second round, it was a very scrappy round. Once again, Mike nailed Ustinov with some heavy shots. Again, nothing seemed to really um, phase Ustinov at that point. I think he showed quite a good chin. We saw the toughness from him. Um, he, he didn't land anything telling himself Ustinov once again. Um, I'm not even sure that Ustinov let his right hand go at all after those after those two rounds um Ustinov was starting to lean on Michael Hunter at every chance he got, and Michael could not afford to tire. He really couldn't, because it was that kind of fight he needed to, you know, to somehow keep his stamina, which we didn't really see in the Bacoli fight, despite having a proper camp for it. Now, in the third round, it was another fiddly round. It seemed like um, like that was how the fight was going to be. I mean, both men were holding, both men were not in great condition. Obviously, um, you know, Michael wasn't best prepared at all, and Ustinov was training for a completely different fighter after coming off a year out of the ring, which sounds bad, but like I say, I'd probably prefer to come off a year out of the ring but have a full training camp than you know, have a fight five weeks ago, be sitting on your couch at home, if you like, and then get a phone call and fly to a different part of the world, you know, against a guy who's six inches taller than me or whatever Usanov is um his height over Michael Hunter but um yeah you know it was another round for Hunter there in the third round like I say Hunter is exceptional on the inside he's fantastic on the inside but like I said last week the fitness he needed to keep it and thankfully he did um in the fourth round the referee kept doing Hunter a favor I felt because whenever they were close Hunter would duck down and Ustinov would lean on him and the referee would break it up straight away I mean it was another messy round in the fourth but one again for Michael Hunter both men were starting to tire at that stage and we saw two thunderous looking left hooks on Ustinov in the last four seconds of that round. Hunter certainly hurt him um, twice in that round, I felt, the fourth round. I think one was early, one was late. In the fifth round, for me, it was the worst round of the fight. I mean, it was very, very slow. There was lots of holding. The referee was earning his money, kept breaking them up from holding. Ustinov was leaning and hitting Hunter in the back of the head. Hunter certainly won the round again, but it was so messy. I mean, people... You know, people need to know, you cannot judge Michael Hunter on that performance there. I mean, like I say, no notice really for him. Um, in the sixth round, a massive shot landed from Michael Hunter. Ustinov then um, appeared with a bloodied nose. Um, it was a big left uppercut followed by an overhand right. A very cute combination from Hunter. You don't really see that often in the heavyweight division, but six rounds to zero. Both men were very tired at this point. In the seventh round, another horrible round to watch, really. I mean, Michael once again landed some massive punches though and Ustinov once again showed us his metal a very tough guy but another Hunter round in the 8th round down went Ustinov a massive right hand from Hunter a huge cut on Ustinov's forehead that we saw um, I think there was about 15 seconds left in the round Ustinov got up at I think it was about 9 I think it was 9 seconds um, and then yeah I couldn't believe that they let him carry on Ustinov then literally tied Michael Hunter up and he tried to buy his time but Hunter did actually catch him with the last punch of 
of the round, and that threw Usanov into the ropes. And for me, it should have been called a knockdown, because without the ropes, he was certainly going down. And the commentators were stunned that the corner didn't pull Usanov out, or the referee didn't stop the fight. And then, like I say, in the ninth round, brave Usanov, he came out, um, you know, was holding. Um, Hunter was a little bit desperate, I felt, and he did get there in the end, and what a sweet shot. A left hook followed by a right to the body. Down went Usanov, and the referee waved it off. Um, the towel came in as well, I believe. I felt a little bit sorry for Usanov because he took a bad beat in there. And, you know, like I say, he had an opponent switch with, I think it was nine days notice. And um, I felt a little bit bad for him because, you know, he, he tried. And because he got beat in the fashion he got beat, I thought, wow, like... It was a little bit demoralizing, like he was the bigger guy. I felt that the odds in the betting shop were stacked in Michael Hunter's favor massively. I was quite surprised when I saw the odds. Michael was such a big favorite, and especially, like I say, I'm getting like a broken record now, but the, the, the no notice pretty much. I don't know if the betting shop knew about that, because, I mean, to, to have Michael as such a favorite like that, I was very surprised. I thought that Ustinov would be dangerous for a few rounds, and then perhaps tire over the stretch, but he didn't win anything, so quite a demoralizing defense feet there for him but like I say there can only be one winner and I'm absolutely over the moon for Michael um, I'm not sure I want to see him out straight away he's talking about fighting once again on the Dillian White and Derek Chisora undercard um, on the 22nd of December I think that's a little bit too soon especially if they're trying to fry him in with Carlos Takam I think you need a full camp for Carlos Takam he's an extremely tough guy but yeah um, brilliant stuff for Michael Hunter there I as I mean two unbelievable wins I mean you know in my eyes he was up against it both times the first time the way he beat Bacoli was unbelievable fantastic fight and then this fight here although it wasn't the you know the prettiest thing on the eye there was lots of holding that's the way it is it's a little bit David versus Goliath-esque but you know he got there in the end and he knocked his man out and he's become the quickest man to stop him so Michael Hunter at the moment is making waves in the heavyweight division despite being a small man physically compared to some of the giants I mean, on fighting on the Dillian White, uh, Chisora Underhoff, I think it'll be a good fight. And I'll tell you a fight like that, I think it'll be a good test against. Dave Allen, I think that'll be a very good test. But the thing is, I mean, Michael Hunt, obviously, he's fought a uh, cruiserweight. He's fought people like Usyk, and obviously, he just he just beat Ustinov. And obviously, now, I think a big step up for him in the heavyweight division would be someone like a Dave Allen. Obviously, we know Dave Allen, like he's the Brit- he's a British-level fighter. I think him versus Hunter will be a very good fight, and I think that I think that would be very good. I'm not quite sure I'd say Ustinov is, you know, under Dave Allen's level, but I think being on a big card like that and showing yourself off to the UK fans and taking on a crowd favourite like Dave Allen could probably increase your profile, but I'm not sure it's a... I mean, I'd expect him to beat to beat Dave Allen, like, you know, to win every round against Dave Allen, really, so... Yeah, I mean, if if he's going to fight him on the 22nd of December, then I'd say take the fight. I don't think he needs to be 100% prepared for Dave Allen, and that's no disrespect to Dave Allen. Obviously, he's a friend of the show. Um, Moving up the card, once again, we saw Frank Buglioni take on Fan Long Meng. Now, you know... Buglioni, for me, uh, it was it was sad. I mean, obviously, he got TKO'd after five rounds. It ended up being stopped on cuts. Buglioni was being hit all too often. I mean, he could not get past Meng's jab. Meng is a very accurate puncher, and obviously, Buglioni isn't known for his head movement. It was turning into Buglioni's kind of fight, though, I felt. I think he was successfully drawing Meng into a war. 
um, because, you know, that's the way Buglioni likes to have his fights. He enjoys a war. But unfortunately, he was too busted up himself and it was only going to get worse and worse for him. Um, it was a bad cut on his eye and I was really gutted for Buglioni. Um, you know, he took a hard fight against someone who we'd never heard of and we would much rather have seen him in with someone domestically like a Yard, like a, you know, a Burton rematch, someone like that. And that would have you know, gathered so much more interest. So I'm hoping he got well paid for it because it was a real sad way to lose a fight and, you know, for your stock to really drop like that. But the the shame is not many people know Meng was obviously an, you know, a, a fantastic amateur and he went to the Olympics. So there's no shame in losing. He's an undefeated pro, but unfortunately, not many people know things like this. He's not a household name, so it looks really bad for Bugley only to lose to him. And then on the back of that, you know, we were going to talk about it in the news part, but there's no real point. I may as well mention it now. Buglioni has decided to retire from boxing, so um, that's quite a sad thing, because for me, Buglioni was one of the most nicest guys in boxing, and it's not just my opinion that, you know, anyone that you ask about Buglioni, no one can say a bad word about him. I remember doing an interview with Frank Buglioni once, and I remember um, trying to kind of pin him down to do this interview, and I think he set a time that we would do. I accidentally missed the time. I forgot about it or something like that, and I said to him, you know, can we do it now? And I remember him saying, well, I'm on the way to my to my girlfriend's house. I think it was his birthday the day before. He was on the way to his girlfriend's house and he was basically going out for dinner with her. And he did the interview on the way to his girlfriend's house. And I think we probably recorded for a little bit longer than he thought. And he was literally parked up outside his girlfriend's house. They're waiting to go out for dinner, but he was, he was, you know, he was willing to finish the interview with me first before cutting it short. And that tells you a lot about Frank Buglioni. That tells you a lot about a man there. You know, he, he really, he really did his best to accommodate us whenever we asked. And he's been a fantastic servant to British boxing, not just the way he is, not just the, the human being he is, but also the, fact that you know whenever he got in the ring whether you liked him or not to be honest I mean not many people disliked Buglioni I'd say but you know he was always in exciting fights and I'm going to just kind of reel through a few of them now and there's a lot that people wouldn't have seen you know there's many fights where he's took on guys and you might think well I didn't bother watching that one because I didn't think it was going to be a great fight but whether or not it's a good thing they were great fights I mean I remember when he took on I mean I remember actually being ringside when he got knocked out against Kamitsky and I was absolutely gutted for him I remember being there for that one and then you know he had back-to-back wars he took on Andrew Robinson that was a war he took on Lee Markham. That was a war. I remember him knocking out Castanada. Then he took on Chudinov. And obviously, he was completely up against it. And I remember him dropping Chudinov um, as the bell went for one of the rounds. And he really hurt Chudinov. And he ended up surviving the distance where many felt that he'd get stopped. You know. And then, he obviously, he went on to take on Jose Burton. Despite losing um, the majority of the rounds, he come back late on and stopped him in the final round. That was absolutely epic. Then he went on to defend his title. Three, well, he went on to defend it three times but the the third and final one was unsuccessful against Callum Johnson but all three of the guys that he gave a chance at the British title were all undefeated he was looking to try and defend it three times successfully against undefeated fighters which no one else has ever been able to do and you know he's now finished up in Monte Carlo so I'm absolutely gutted for him Um, I've sent him a message he's replied to me as well but um, yeah I'm very sad to see him leave to be honest and 
We was always talking about me going to his gym and watching him spar. We were talking about it, I think, for his last two fights, and we were unable to ever kind of set a time, and I was going to go around there and see him spar like a James DeGaulle or Luke Watkins, someone like that who he sparred with in the past, but we never managed to do it, and now he's retired. I'll probably never get to see it, so I'm absolutely gutted that I never went down there um, went down there to, to, to the gym and saw him train at Don Charles' gym, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I wish him all the very best. If this is the right thing for him, if he's happy to do this, then I'm over the moon for him. Um, I'd like to thank him once again for being so accessible for us. And also, you know, I just don't want to see him step out the ring for a quite a long time, maybe a few months, maybe six months, even a year, and then decide, you know what, I want to come back and have another crack at it. I think that'd be a big mistake. So hopefully... This decision is final. If it's the right one, then I'm absolutely over the moon for him. We love you, Frank. Um, yeah, moving on to other things. I've kind of really gone off on a tangent there. Um, Dennis Lebedev took on Mike Wilson. Lebedev, 31 and... Two, he's now 32 and two, a unanimous decision over 12 rounds against the previously undefeated Mike Wilson, 19 and one. It wasn't a pretty fight, to be honest, that one. I barely watched it. Um, but yeah, Frank Buglioni's record ends up 22 wins, four losses, and one draw. And uh, the main event that kind of wasn't the main event because of the scheduling, but Cal Yafai, 24 and 0, he successfully defended his WBA World Super Flyweight title against Israel Gonzalez, 23 and 2. Unanimous decision over 12 rounds for Cal Yafai. A very, very close fight. I think some of the scorecards were a little bit, well, a little bit suspect, I think you can say. They were a little bit distasteful. I think that um, Israel Gonzalez did a lot better than the judges would reflect. But um, I still felt that, I mean, I wasn't scoring it, but I felt that Cal Yafai probably did enough to scrape it. Um, I'm not. I'm not saying that he clearly won it. I'm just saying he probably did enough to scrape it. It could have been a draw. could have been a round either way. I think it was that kind of fight. It was very, very close. But like I say, I wasn't strictly scoring it, so apologies for that one. Uh, moving out now to New Zealand. One fight to mention over here. We talk about, um, everyone always confuses, um, you know, Lucas Brown and Joseph Parker saying that they're like best mates because one lives in New Zealand, one lives in Australia, when they've never actually met each other. Well, Lucas Brown went over to Joseph Parker's stomping ground here. The Aussie went over to Kiwiland, New Zealand, and he took on Junior Patty, who had a record of 12-22 and 22 with one draw. Lucas Brown ended up knocking him out in the fifth round of a scheduled eight, so Lucas Brown's now 27-1. and one. This one was for the vacant WBC Asian Boxing Council silver heavyweight title, so... All the very best to Lucas Brown, a friend of the show. Let's move over now to York Hall real quick in London, Bethnal Green. We saw a couple fights on the undercard here. Tony Banj moved to 6-0. It was a points win over four rounds against Dow Arrowsmith. Uh, we also saw Harlem Eubank. That's actually the cousin of Chris Eubank Jr. So it's not um, it's not one of his half-brothers. Like I think last week I might have said he was his estranged son. I'm wrong about that. Harlem Eubank obviously trains with Adam Booth. But yeah, he's moved to 6-0. A TKO in the second round against Peter Alexandrov. It was a proper knockout. He was out cold. A left hook finish proceedings there. And... Um, also, we saw Sam Gilly move to 7-0, a TKO in the third round against Ryan Toms, who's now 16-16 and with three draws. It was a body shot finish from Gilly. That's what I like to see from prospects coming up. And the final bill to mention, this one happened at the Mark G. Atess Arena in the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino, Atlantic City, New Jersey, United States. We saw Sergei Kuzmin move to 14-0. He success- 
successfully defended his WBA Intercontinental Heavyweight title. Um, he knocked out Laron Mitchell in six rounds, a TKO there for Sergei Kuzmin. And topping the bill, Dimitri Bivol, 14-0, took on Jean Pascal, 33-5 with one draw. It was for Bivol's WBA World Light Heavyweight title. Um, obviously, this one was a main event show, and it was shown on... Um, on HBO and on Box Nation. Um, it was a good fight, to be honest. I mean, like I said last week, we're going to talk about the predictions in a moment, but like I said last week, I felt that he was going to be able to fiddle his way to the distance when a lot of people felt that Jean Pascal would get knocked out. So I went with Pascal um, to lose on points. So I went with Bivol on points. I gained a point there. Obviously, UIAS went with Bivol by knockout IAS, and so did the listeners. So no point gained there. Um, I went with Yafai to win on points, so did the listeners, so we both gained a point, but you went with Yafai by knockout, so no point game for you there. You went with Lebedev on points, Ayaz, so you gained a point there. Um, Myself and the listeners both expected Lebedev to get the knockout, but that didn't happen. I went with Hunter to win by knockout, which happened, but you and the listeners both went with Hunter on points, and then you both went with Puglioni on points also, and I went with Meng on points, which looked like it'd happen if the cut didn't happen, but yeah, we all we all missed out there. So the totals there is I've gained three points last week and I as and the listeners have gained one point. So I'm really on a roll now. I think I'm uncatchable. Remember the the, the score is, well, the, the target is first to 100. So I'm, I'm marching in the right direction there. I'm over the moon with that. But yeah, getting back to this fight that we've just mentioned there, Pascal and Bivol. I mean, for the first few rounds, Bivol was really going to work on on Pascal. And I think that Bivol can be quite surgical when it comes to his boxing. Like he really target certain areas and it's quite it's quite a beatdown he can give you know he doesn't just become headhunter happy he doesn't just become body hunter happy he likes to mix it up very very cleverly he lands fantastic shots all over your body and he really just puts the pain on you and it's not so much like he's trying to get a showreel stoppage or he's even trying to get a stoppage he just likes to beat you down everywhere he wants to hurt you all over your you know from above your 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 waist he wants to hurt you all over and that's what he tries to do but pascal to his credit i mean he landed a couple of nice shots here and there but he didn't really win anything for me i think Kovalev is a big puncher, obviously, and I think that Bivol's a very big puncher also, but I don't think Bivol's power is quite on the level of Kovalev's, and that's why Kovalev was able to completely get rid of his man, you know, and and he did it late, to be honest with him, he did do it late, that's why I thought Bivol would probably do really well to stop him quicker than Kovalev, and he didn't, but um, yeah, very wide scores, I think that that was probably the way it was, I'm not quite sure if he did enough to win even three rounds, Pascal, I think uh, it was pretty much like a 10 to 2 kind of fight. I didn't really score it, but um, yeah. Good win there for Bivol. Another good learning fight for him. Another step in the right direction. I would like to see him take on someone like the winner of um, Govozdik and Stevenson, which is happening this weekend, which we'll talk about in the preview part of the show. But that's really it for the reviewing. Uh, just before we wrap up part one, the last thing to do is to welcome guest number one. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former prize fighter champion, IBF European and IBF Intercontinental champion. Also, this man has got one of the best beards in combat sports. It is Mr. John O'Carroll. John O, welcome on the show. <laughs> Thank you, my man. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to come on the show, man. 
Hey, it's my pleasure having you on. So, Jono, first things first, I want to go back in time slightly. Obviously, you made your debut in Australia. Now, a lot of people still yep. are a little bit lost of how that happened. Um, how did it happen? You were there for about the first year of your pro career. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's a weird story. I was just bored. Um, I just went down to the gym one day, and it was my first day in the gym. And you had a boxer in there. He was fighting that lightweight, and he used like four professional fights. Um, and he was sparring guys that were about like 70 kilos, 75 kilos, like much bigger lads. And I just, I was only at the walking in and he was already in the ring. And I said, do you want me to spar him like that? Way too big for him. And like the coach laughed until uh, are you good? Like I was like, ah, I'm all right. Like I'm not too bad. Like I, I can handle myself. But it was at the end of the ring for like two years. But uh, I just knew these lads that like whatever, 75 kilos, way too big for this fellow. So I said like, I'll jump in. So we're out. Without hesitation, he was like, yeah, okay, no problem. He was like, back up there. So your man's gone um, in the warm round, and then he stopped, and he kind of just waited. So we're literally not warming up, no one just put my wraps on, and I just jumped in real quick, had my mouthpiece with me and that. And, uh, yeah, I jumped in, and I actually battered your man. It was, it was easy work. He was real slow, and he was strong, don't get me wrong, but I only done three rounds at him, and I slapped the head off him for the three rounds, and your man was like, oh, you're really good, blah, blah. And it was just like... He was like, why don't you go pro? And, and from there, I was like, ah, to be honest, in Ireland, it's kind of you need to go to the Olympics and you need, need to have a massive big background. I was like, uh, I just never, I always wanted to be a professional, but I never really had the opportunity to. So then we just spoke a little bit more and he said, why don't you just have one more amateur fight? And then we turn you pro. So that's what happened. And funny enough, actually, the amateur fight I had, I got robbed. I, I boxed in Australian champion and I battled him. I dropped him in the second round as well. And uh, but he was the son of like the high performance in Australia. He was the son of the main coach, and uh, they welcomed me. So I actually picked my trophy up and I went celebrating around the whole ring, showing my trophy and all. And the whole crowd gave me a big clap, and it was it was very funny. But it was strange when you know what I mean. They welcomed me, so I was completely sick of the amateur game at that stage, as it was. But just that kind of just confirmed everything that I just needed to turn over. And, uh, yeah, so I went professional from there, then we had a pro fight, and here we are today, man. <laughs> now, of course, back in the day, you boxed in the old prize fighter tournament, and you entered that only 3-0 and at the time. I mean, no one gave you a chance of winning it, but you did, and you pretty much were an underdog in all three fights, the quarter, the <laughs> semi, and the final. What is it like, Jono, yeah. to box three different men over three rounds? Um, is, it, is it very difficult, or is it easier than you expected? Um, yeah, well, to be honest, it was kind of handy because I, I was at the, like I said, I wasn't out of amateur game too long. I only had three fights, so the three treatment rounds really suited me down to the ground. So it was basically just like having three fights in the one night, but three amateur fights in the one night, you know. So I only had about four four rounders before that. So um, I was still used to that fast, high paced kind of um, fight. So it actually slotted in quite easy, you know what I mean? Whereas the lads that were very experienced, they were used to doing 10 rounds and and 12 rounds and stuff like that. So they were kind of the slowing themselves down and were working all in their power shots. And, and you know, the, the, the pro style, it's, it's two different games, amateur and professional. But for me, just the kind of, I was only the changing all with the pro, the three treatment rounds really suited me. So it, it was it was an easy night to work, to be honest. <laughs> Even though my hand, I tore ligaments in my hand in the fight before that. So I couldn't hit pads like all on the lead up to it. And I also got a few cuts, so I couldn't spar. So it was a bit weird. It was one of them I was thrown in with an injured hand and I had cuts that were destined to open. But listen, 
it is what it is. You know what I mean? Boxing is all about taking risks, and I took many risks in this game, and it's all paid off. So happy days, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Now, obviously, after that, you went on to win another seven fights on the row, including um, including one of them being on the Klitschko Fury undercard out in Dusseldorf. What was it like to be a part of such a fantastic event there? Oh, mate, that was crazy. That was, that was the weirdest thing. Like, it was just, I got a phone call with, like, two weeks' notice, and I only ever fought six rounds before that. And uh, they said, can you, do a, can you do a, what was it, an eight-rounder you wanted me to do? So I said, yeah, yeah, no problem. So we went out two weeks notice. I was only training, basically. I was just in the gym staying active. I wasn't even really training for a fight. So that's why I fought at lightweight rather than my actual normal weight, you know. So, um, yeah, I went in. Yeah, the same also with Pride for it. I was done that at lightweight because the opportunity became a lightweight. But it was never really a lightweight. I was always a super fella. But um, it was always last-minute fight. So I was always fighting at lightweight, which was, was crazy. But, yeah, I took that experience, like, I literally just went. I didn't really think about it because it was such a big profile fight. I was like, yeah, of course. And then I got there and I figured out your man had like 15 knockouts or something and then they changed it to an eight-rounder to a 10-rounder and it was like, what? This is this is a setup. That's what I was thinking. I was like, this is a setup. We're going to get smashed up here. And yeah, it was just like one of them. I basically just said, I'm just going to go in a box and try to stay away from this guy because he was dangerous and he had so many knockouts. I only ever fought a six-rounder before that. And uh, like I said, I wasn't even training for the fight, so it was like all on a last-minute thing. But um, to be a part of the whole the whole thing it was such an amazing experience. Like walking out into that crowd, because I got um, it was Peter Fury's slot on the TV, so I was quite high actually on the card. So the place was completely packed when I walked out. I mean, it was that like early in my career. I didn't even want to look at the I didn't want to look at the crowd even because I was like so not intimidated because I just kind of took it and destroyed it but I, I didn't want to use up nervous energy or kind of get caught up in the moment you know it was just like get to the ring do the business and then get out and then appreciate it all so that's kind of what I've done but I've done the business that night as well and like I said I took many risks in this sport and they've all paid off thank God but um, that was such an amazing experience I must say that's something I'll tell the grandkids about yeah, for sure. But no, fantastic to to bank that experience. You know, just uh, you know, after not being pro for so long, kind of thing. Um, soon after that, obviously, you went on to take Definitely. on John Quigley for the IBF European. Now that was a fantastic fight in which you picked up a split decision after twelve. Would that fight perhaps yeah. be the toughest of your career thus far, Jono? Yeah, well, to be honest, um, something that no one really knew in the lead-up to that, I only had three spars before that fight. Um, I had a couple of little injuries. My hand was really sore. Um, I was at the picking up a hand injury. That same, actually, ligament that, that I'd done in prize for, it came up on me again um, in a fight that I had just previous to Johnny Quigley. But I, what happened was I didn't let it heal enough on time, so I went back too early and I sparred, and I really damaged it in the sparring. But the Johnny Quigley fight was kind of... Um, it was almost scheduled at that stage. So even going back for the first couple of weeks, I was trying to work on my fitness, but I wasn't working on, I couldn't hit back. I, I literally couldn't hit pads. I couldn't hit bags. Um, I was wearing big 18 ounce gloves, just hitting pads. And like, even when I, and I was tipping them, I was, I was doing the paddle. So I really wasn't right for that fight. I, I, yeah, I had like three spars. I think so. For me, the preparation wasn't good. Or like I said, I always just take these opportunities when they come. Boxing is not one of them sports where you can kind of, I'll, I'll pass this opportunity I'll go on to the next one for me it was like all or nothing let's just take every opportunity that comes my way and I've done that so I went into that fight not 100% but 
But uh, I just stuck to the game plan and what my coach told me to do, and, and we executed the game plan. But I made that night, to be honest, a really hard night for myself. I could have done that a lot easier, but um, I gained a lot of experience from that fight. So I have to, uh, I have to be appreciative of of the experience that I did gain. You know what I mean? Because I didn't have the sparring, I didn't have a lot of uh, good preparation. I ended up kind of learning on the job. You know what I mean? It was like I've never done twelve rounds before. I sparred, I think, only six, up to six rounds for that fight or something like that. So, yeah, it was really bad preparation, but um, like I said, it paid off, so we don't really care. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just like went I to said, war. Yeah, no, it was. It was a fantastic fight, but very well done there. And then, obviously, you know, you gathered another win um, and, then, and then took on Declan Geraghty last time out, and that really put to bed the history of the first fight, the, the controversy, the way it ended. Um, this time, you knocked him out in the ninth round. Um, you know, I talked about your toughest fight a moment ago just there. Was this the best performance of your career thus far? Yeah, I think it definitely was my best performance. I was I was prepared mentally more importantly than anything else for this fight. I've wanted this that fight for a very long time, and when it came, uh, my preparations were, were bad as well because I got a cut in the lead up. I had a spar, and when I won the the title in the Continental, when I got a bad cut, and then I went back sparring quite soon after the after that. And as I was sparring for that camp, I, I opened up, so I actually had to get this big. Um, like head guard, I looked like Hannibal Lecter in the ring. I did a big like face mask on it. I could only body spar. It was uh, the lead up to it wasn't good, but mentally I knew what I had to do to execute that game plan. So we worked on a lot of technical stuff on pads, and uh, yeah, we only body sparred for that and sparred one head spar. The very last spar is what I had, and I wore that crazy head guard that I had. But um, yeah, like listen, that that was definitely my best career. I reckon I performed to my best of my ability, but um, I also got a new coach in Albert, and he was more teaching me not to fight, fight, fight all the time, and teaching me certain boxing things. So I didn't, I didn't go in and just try drag it into a war. Even though I did drag him into a war, I, I used my head a little bit and introduced my head movements a little bit more. And um, yeah, no, I think I, I boxed basically to exactly his game plan, what he wanted me to do. Further than the fourth round, the fourth round was all me. The fourth round was like, I don't know, I just, <laughs> I just kind of got involved in the heat of the moment, and then after that, I stuck to the game plan and and we executed that nicely. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, that was a great fight. I really enjoyed that fight, and it was something that was coming a long time. So for me, mentally in that fight, there was no chance I could have lost that, and I didn't want to just win by a decision. I needed to stop him in my head every time. I thought about the fight, I was stopping them. So then there was no more questions. There was no more, oh, yeah, but this and but that. I just wanted to completely outclass him and beat him. And that's exactly what I did. So, you know, I'm thankful for that win. That was excellent. Yeah, congrats on that once again. Now, obviously, um, back in the day, you used to train with Pascal Collins, a man that you trained alongside at that time. Frank Buglioni has decided to hang up his gloves following his loss on the weekend in Monte Carlo. Very sad, a very sad loss for him. Do you yes. think it's the right time for him to, to hang it up, Jono, or is it not really your place to say so? It's not really my place to say, but I'm one of them that it's, it's totally up to the fighter. Like, it doesn't matter what age you are. Um, it, it's all on your mind, your your mental state, you know what I mean, in, in the boxing world. So for Frank Buglioni, he never needed to fight. He never needs to be a fighter. He's a very smart man. He's very intelligent. Um, he can do a lot of other things, you know what I mean? He doesn't need to He doesn't need to fight games to earn money. 
which unfortunately most of us do. You know what I mean? Including myself at the minute. So for Frank, it's getting out with your head. He just loved the sport. He, he His passion was boxing and he really loved the sport. So I'm happy that Frank, he, in fairness, he had a great career. You know what I mean? He's done great in what he did. Um, but for me, I, I think it was the right decision for him because he got out with his health and that's the most important thing we all need to understand is like, get in and out as quick as possible and get out with your health. But Frank has, he has many certs behind him. He can, he can be a wealthy man with or without boxing. You know, so for me, if I was in this position, I would have done the same thing because at his weight division, it's just such a, it's hard, it's, it's hard, it's a big ask for him. You know what I mean? It's a big ask for any, any man at that stage at his weight division. So there's a lot of good talent out there. So for Frank, yeah, maybe, I, I think it was the right decision. But, like I said, that's totally his decision. You know what I mean? It's like all to their own in this sport because it is a hard sport. It's a lonely sport. And we dedicate so much time and effort into it with the eating and the the no going out and partying, not not like normal social events, like just birthday parties, family parties, all these things we kind of sacrifice for boxing. So I'm sure Frank is going to sit back and he's going to enjoy the fruit of the labour and he's going to enjoy some of them parties and everything else. So, no, fair play, no, I'm delighted that he hung the gloves up, to be honest, because in any sport you want to stay in too long if you're not going to be number one, you know? Yeah, very well said. All the very best to Frank in retirement. Now, you're obviously ranked, um, you know, world-ranked with the IBF now. The next fight you'll be taking uh, will, will be on Kell Brook's undercard. It's next weekend. It's a final eliminator. Brilliant. It's not just an eliminator, a final one. That's absolutely brilliant. And obviously, the winner gets Tevin Farmer. Now, your opponent is Guillaume Frenoir. What do you know about this guy, Jono? Um, I know he's got 42 wins and he only has one loss. So, listen, it's one of them things you cannot buy experience in boxing. Like, there's nothing you can. Like I said, when I fought in Dusseldorf that time, I learned on the job. And I'm sure I learned on the job a little bit in this fight also. But I'm looking to get in and absolutely break this man up. He's 35, but like I said before, age is just a number because like if you look at the likes of Mayweather and stuff like that, he battled Canelo and he was older than 35. You know what I mean? Canelo was a young bull, and now look at where he is. So for me, I cannot overlook this fella in the slightest, but I'm certainly down in there to make a statement and to show that I deserve to be to be world-ranked. You know what I mean? Um but I don't know an awful lot about him. There's not that much video footage of him. He's fought in his own country a lot of times. And the one time he did leave his country is when he lost. So um, I'm not too worried about him at the same time. Because for me, I just try to be the best fighter I can be. I don't worry about my opponents. Um, I never worry about my opponents. I don't really think too far into them. Because that's I'm just trying to be the best fighter I can possibly be. And the rest will all take care of itself. You know what I mean? It's like, for me, my coach gives me a game plan. And I try to learn as much of that game plan as possible in the gym for in like the lead up, and then we go in there and we execute the game plan. But listen, I, I'm my own enemy. You know what I mean? I'm my worst enemy. It's it's for me. I'm my harshest critic. I'm I, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be the best boxer I can possibly be, and then put on a show for the fans because nobody wants to sit like ringside and see a boring fight either. So for me. My dad always says, it's about putting bums on seats. You want to be exciting and you want to be number one. And if you're not going to be either of them, then don't bother boxing. So for me, I'm trying to be both of them. And I put the most pressure on myself to be the best boxer I can possibly be. And at the end of the day, you, you cannot ask any more from a man, you know. So 
that's my whole thing with the boxing game. And the same with Kevin Farmer. I won't be worrying about him either. I'll be getting a game plan. I'll be breaking him up as well. He'll be getting stopped too. So I'm looking to stop these next two fights and put a print on the on the walls. You know what I mean? Like make a statement and say, listen, I'm here. And then I want the unification belt. I want the world <laughs> and everything in it. No, I mean, if I just give my little my little two pence on this on this fight here that you've got coming up, I mean, I don't want to knock what what he's done. I think his record looks amazing, but in my opinion, I think most of the early stuff was a little bit padded until recently. I think he's got a few good wins now. Um, obviously, I wouldn't want you to disclose any of your game plan, but from my standpoint, I think should the fight go into the second half of the fight, I think you can be very relentless, and I think that's where you would have a lot of success. I'd like to, I'd like to see how he's how he's going to cope with you coming at him in the you know in the in the second half of the fight. I think he'll really struggle with you. Um, you mentioned there about you've had you know you've had a lot of back and forth with Tevin Farmer he was on the show a few weeks back and he actually made a statement on the show that he apparently made you famous because he tweeted you or something like that what's your response to that if you've got one Jono <laughs> he, he's crazy that fella is delusional I think like his head is so stuck up his own hole he believes the stuff that he says like this fella is he's he's actually the worst world champion that I ever that I ever seen or heard of or anything like he's first of all he's not amazingly talented second of all he's rude and third of all he's just like he doesn't hold himself like a world champion you know what I mean you're meant to have respect in this game this is a gentleman's sport and Kevin Farmer what a delusional statement to make that he, he made me famous by tweeting me he has the same amount of followers on Twitter as I do and he's a world champion and he's living in America where social media is one of the biggest platforms in the whole in the whole world is in America, you know what I mean? So the fella is absolutely delusional and I think he actually believes some of the craziness that he comes out with. But uh mate, Tevin Farmer is a joke and I'm gonna smash him up and I'm gonna prove that he he's also padded. He's a padded record and like he won his world title from an old man, you know what I mean, who was basically on his way out who was like I was nothing against um was a Billy Dave. Billy he, he, was, he was a good champion when he was champion. You know what I mean? Like I actually liked the fella because was, I knew a lot. I knew his coaches and stuff like that when I was over in Australia. But listen, at the same time, he won from from a man who shouldn't have been been where he was. You know what I mean? Now he's going to have a final limit against me because let let's be real. This this next fella that I'm fighting, he's getting broke up and he's getting stopped in the later half of the fight. But We'll see what happens. You know what I mean? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not getting too big for me boot either, but in my head, I'm visualising stopping him and I've also visualised stopping Kevin Farmer. But I'm not, I'm not looking past this next fight either because every fight for me is important. Like, it has been my whole career, but even when I turned pro, like, it was... Boxing happened for me. I didn't choose to be a professional boxer. It all just happened for me. Like, I went into the gym that day. I sparred this fella. The trainer asked me to go pro. I went pro just basically for a bit of income and, and also I enjoyed the fight, you know? And then I won Declan Gary, he's taken on the toys for her. Like, all these things just happened for me. I won toys for her. And it all, all these things, and then all of a sudden, when I have to win a toys for her and Sky Sports that offering contracts, I was like, I could be actually a professional boxer here. This is crazy. And I just kind of like snowballed, you know what I mean? And like, from there, I just kept rolling with the punches. So, for me, it's like, boxing is my destiny. And being a world champion is my destiny, and I wouldn't have chose this sport if I wasn't going to be number one. But uh, Tim Farmer, like he's just, 
I actually can't stand the man. Like I think he was a clown, but he does he doesn't even get on any skin. It's just like when you're when you're like slagging him, when I'd be slagging him and talking to him and that he goes on like a child. Like I actually feel like I'm in this, in in a playground in school having an argument with him because it's like arguing with a ten year old. You know what I mean? He's he's a bleeding muppet if I'm being completely honest. <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's, I actually can't even keep talking about him because the uncle he's just. He's a mad mongrel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Enough words on Tevin now. Um, there, there is one weekend of boxing before yours, Jono, and it's another huge one. Tyson Fury takes on Deontay Wilder this weekend. How do you see the fight going? Um, yeah, listen, that's a great fight. You know what I mean? It's brilliant for the heavyweight boxing. Um, let's be real. Tyson Fury is the real, true heavyweight of of. Like of the world, he's the champion of the world. Like he never got, he had never had a loss. He he held all the titles and everything else. People people from me they underestimate Tyson. I've seen Tyson walk in the gym. He's a massive heart. And listen, fitness gets you to a certain point in your career, and like power even gets you to a certain point. But boxing is about a big heart and a brain. Now, let's be real. Wilder has a big punch, so Tyson needs to be very careful. But if if Tyson boxes to his ability, he can beat Worler and it'll probably be a boring fight, but I genuinely think he will win the fight. And that's my opinion. I think he will win the fight. But saying that, if he's taking this fight one or two fights early and he's not up to standard and he's not a hundred percent, um all it takes is one punch from Worler. Like he's knocked everybody in his career out. Even the people who went the distance, he's went back and he's knocked them out then afterwards. So He's a massive puncher, but he's wild as anything, and he can be completely hit. Straight shots down the middle will hit him all day long, as long as Tyson, as long as Tyson's fit enough to do twelve rounds um, and doesn't get dragged into a fight at any stage, he'll win the fight. It might be boring, but he'll win the fight. Um, but then again, it's a coin toss really for Tyson because it's like all Warler has to do is not have one punch, and that can be lights out for Tyson. You know what I mean? But my thoughts on it is Tyson will win. I genuinely think Tyson will win. He always finds a way. He's he's a great champion, and um, I respect what he's done. Even coming back, mate, he was obese. He was depressed. Now he's coming back. He's in fantastic shape. He's not depressed anymore. He stands up for what he believes in. He's, he's a great man, you know what I mean? But he, I've spoken to Tyson many a times, at, like sitting at a table and having just a chat with him. And he's a really, really nice guy. He's a genuinely nice guy. But he told me himself, he was like, listen, I had to play the bad guy just to get these opportunities and get these fights. He was like, if I had been the good guy in that and, and being even just my normal self, he was like, I wouldn't have got the opportunities that I get. He was like, I've only got them because I had to be, I had to put on this this person that I'm actually not really. He was like, but it got me paid at the end of the day and that's all that matters. So for Tyson, he's a smart man. He knows what he's doing in the boxing world, you know? So... I just hope I hope he does it. I genuinely hope he does it because it's what he it's what he stands for is everything and he has a better he's a better story. It's like it's just a, such a it'll be an amazing movie in a couple of years to come. You know what I mean? If if he does the job on Moral and then does it on Joshua. I don't know how it's gonna go because it is a coin toss to be honest. And that's what's actually very exciting about the whole thing is that that's why people are gonna tune in because they wanna see what's gonna happen because even people who really know boxing are not sure how this is going to play out. Yeah, 
it is such a it is such a fifty fifty at this stage. I mean, of course, we're all we're all absolutely praying for Tyson. We'll take a boring fight as long as he wins, but um, you know, it can be <laughs> it can be switched up in in a matter of one punch. Um, and finally, Jono, yeah. just before we let you go, um, have you got any closing words at all for the listeners? Anything that you want to say? Not even just to the listeners, but to anyone. If you want to thank any sponsors, anything you like, the floor is yours, my friend. Listen, I just really want to thank MTK for getting me all these opportunities because without them, like my career, I actually felt like walking away from boxing. And even though, because I was with Guy before and I just wasn't not getting the fights. And I wasn't getting treated right. It was it was bad. I was in a bad place at the time when I first signed with MTK. And I actually felt like walking away um, from boxing. And that's when I got onto them and they said, listen, we'll get you three or four fights and get you a shot on every single thing that they told me was going to happen. Happened. So um, I'm really appreciative for MDK taking the time out and giving me these opportunities. Um, and then all my fans who always come and follow me and support me. And just even these young kids who are looking up to me, like I get texts on the daily. Some these kids looking up to me. And it's amazing that kids are actually looking up to me because I was I was that kid a couple of years back who, who like texting people and like they never wrote back to me. But trust me, I'm texting these kids back and I'm giving them a bit of my, my own advice and whatever else. So... I'm just thankful for everyone who's been supporting me and uh, it's been a crazy journey and God knows where it's going to take us but you know what, I'm enjoying the road, I'm not really enjoying the whole destination part, I'm enjoying the whole process right now, I'm enjoying the journey, I don't care where this boxing ends up, I know I'm going to be a champion and I want to be a couple of weight world champion and I just want to be thankful for all the reporters giving me their time and people putting like write-ups about me and Everything, you know what I mean? Everything about the whole boxing world has really looked after me and has put me on a good path, you know what I mean, in my life. There was times where I wasn't doing very good and boxing always, I don't know, it just helped me in life in, in general, you know what I mean? So I just want to be thankful for, for everyone who's ever given the time to message me, wish me good luck, the whole works, even yourself, for just giving me this phone call and giving me the opportunity to be on your show and your podcast. So I really appreciate everyone. And... Um, also, I just want to say to the people, help others. You know what I mean? It's amazing. The things that I've done in the boxing, has like it doesn't feel half as good as some of the kids that I've helped from texting me and they've been in bad places and stuff. And I'm always giving them a bit of advice and helping others. And just to, just to give someone that like split second of your time, that shit is very important. You know what I mean? So um, that's another little thing. Just, just give back. You know what I mean? But uh, yes, mate, I, I want to thank you for having me here and put me out there for all your listeners. And if you don't follow me, it's John King Kong Kyle. Get on it. <laughs> or will be a world champion in the very near future. Excellent, my friend. Very well said. And also, I second that. A big shout out to MTK. And that's Jono King Kong Carroll. Is that on? Um, is that is that Instagram? Instagram is Jono J O N O, and then it's underline K K another underline Carroll. Um, and then yeah, it's the same on Twitter. It's just Jono. I think it's underline uh, Carol on Twitter. Excellent. So yeah, follow me, and I'm sure you've messaged me. You'll get a message back, hundred and ten percent. Top man, top man. All right, listen, Jono, I'd like to thank you for coming on the show this week. Best of luck for the 8th. I hope you win. I hope you have a fantastic Christmas and a great New Year, and we'll hopefully catch up sometime soon. Thank you, my man. I really appreciate it. God bless and take care. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, is the news part of the show. Ayaz, what have you got for us? So, Sunny Edwards will face uh, Ju- Junior Granados. 
for the WBC International Super Flyweight title on December the 15th at Brentwood Centre. Yes, um, you know, Sonny Edwards, obviously a very good fighter, coming off a fantastic win over Ryan Farag. We had Charlie on the show, I think it was last week or the week before, I think it was last week actually. And um, yes, yeah, Sonny, you know, he's marching on and he takes on a guy here who we've seen fight Jamie Conlon before and he gave Jamie Conlon a real fight. He dropped Jamie Conlon actually, so it'd be very interesting to see how he gets on here. This is very much a measuring stick fight. I mean, even last time when, when Charlie was on, I was talking about when Charlie fought Anthony Nelson, you know, you compare that to to um, to the fight that Jamie Conlon had with Anthony Nelson, it was like fight of the year, whereas Charlie went through him like a hot knife through butter. And Charlie kind of said, yeah, well, I don't really want to get compared to Jamie Conlon, blah, blah, blah. And now Sonny Edwards, his fight is going to draw comparison to the fight that Jamie Conlon had with with uh, with Granados as well, so <laughs> both the Edwards brothers are going to get compared to Jamie Conlon. And to be honest, if Sonny comes through with flying colours, then you know this is this is a real special pair of young fighters here, Charlie and Sonny, which I believe in anyway. But I think this is a you know this this will really stamp their authority as being the real deal. And of course, they fight seven days apart. Just seven days after that. Then um, older brother Charlie challenges for a WBC world title. So a very busy month in December for the Edwards brothers, and I wish them all the very best. Top rank have signed Rob Brandt. Yeah, Rob Brandt, obviously a man that was in the World Boxing Super Series. Then he lost against um, against Bremer, and he dropped down because it wasn't really his proper weight class. And then he took on Ryota Morata, who I thought that Morata would easily beat him. But Brandt was able to pull off the shock upset, and now he's become a world champion and straight away top rank have signed him. So... I think he deserves a bit of credit, really, because he bowed out of that, that World Boxing Super Series. You know, he was undefeated going in. He bowed out of it. No one really knew who he was kind of thing. And then he takes on a fight or a fighter where he was supposed to lose pretty clearly, pretty easily. And he manages to pull off the upset and then he lands a top-ranked contract. So all credit to him. I want to see him in some big fights. I think that we should get behind him. And um, yeah, hopefully he does well. Hopefully he does well. Daniel Dubois will face Razvan Kajanu on December the 15th at the Brentwood Centre. Yeah, another great fight for that card. I mean, Dubois does top the bill, so that's the main event there. He takes on Kajanu. Um, obviously, Kajanu was a former sparring partner of Joseph Parker, and then he stepped in at late notice to fight Joseph Parker in a world title fight, and he gave Joseph Parker a fairly decent fight. It was quite a boring fight, actually. I remember it was on Sky at the time. And then, since then, he lost to Parker by decision. Then he took on Luis Ortiz in his last fight back in July, and he got stopped in the second round by Ortiz. But here he takes on Dubois. But, you know, I'm not being funny. Obviously, Luis Ortiz is a world-level fighter. Joseph Parker is a world-level fighter. He's lost to those two. And, you know, now he takes on Daniel Dubois. It's a big step up for Dubois. And, um, you know, I'm all for that fight. I think that's that's a completely fine step up. I hope he puts him away because I think if he goes the distance, then he will face some criticism. Um, it's going to be very difficult to get the job done, you know, before Luis Ortiz did it in two rounds. But even still, if he knocks him out, then it's a it's a statement made because Joseph Parker couldn't do it. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that fight. I think that's a great fight, a great step up for Dubois. So Ryan Walsh will put his British uh, title on the line and will face Rhys Bellotti on the Dillian Wine Derek Chisora undercard. Okay. Yeah, brilliant fight once again. I mean, Rhys Bellotti, um, not sure if he deserves it, really. I mean, he, he obviously lost... Um, 
he lost his Commonwealth strap and then, you know, he's fought a journeyman since then. But yeah, obviously Isaac Lowe was supposed to take on Ryan Walsh. Um, so yeah, that fight didn't happen because Isaac Lowe pulled out because he wanted to fight on the Tyson Fury Deontay Wilder undercard. So he'll be fighting this weekend. But the problem is that it left Ryan Walsh without an opponent. So in step Bellotti. And it's a good fight, actually. So, um,. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not too upset, really. I mean, it was a shock when he lost his title and got stopped by Ryan Doyle. But um, you know, there's not many names really that that are, that are kind of walking around that that weight in Britain for the British title. So I've not really got any qualms with that. I think it's a good fight actually, and I would I would probably back Bellotti to win that. But if he loses, then it's a very very tough place he finds himself in. Is there any more news for us, Ayaz, or is that all? That's it for the news. Thank you very much. I as right, the preview part of the show, we're going to start in the Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. Um, this one is going to be shown on pay-per-view, believe it or not, out in Australia. We have nothing of note on the undercard, really, but the main event, Jeff Horn, 18-1 and one with one draw, takes on Anthony Mundine, 48-8. and eight. This one's for the WBO Oriental middleweight title and the WBA Oceana middleweight title. I've got no idea why Jeff Horn has stepped up to middleweight from 147. I do not understand that at all, but it's happening, and it's on pay-per-view, so... I don't know what to make of that one. That's a horrific fight. I'd expect Jeff Horn to be way too fresh and tough for Mundine. Um, moving out to Italy, this one's happening tomorrow at the Teatro Obi Hall in Florence. This one, obviously, a Matrim Italy show. Three fights on the bill, as far as I know. Andrea Scarpa, 23-4. and four. He takes on Joe Hughes, our very own Joe Hughes, 16-3 and three with one draw. This one's for the vacant EBU European Super Lightweight title. Also, we have Devis Boschiero, 46-5 and five with two draws. He takes on Martin J. Ward over 12 rounds for the vacant WBC International Silver Super Featherweight title. And then Fabio Turchi, 15-0, and oh, an undefeated um, Italian fighter. He puts his WBC International Silver Cruiserweight title on the line against Tony Conquest, 18-2. and two. Conquest been very, very inactive lately, unless I'm very much mistaken. Haven't seen his name in the mix at all for a long time. That's a 12-round contest there, so three 12-rounders. That's obviously going to get shown on Sky Sports on Friday night. Moving out now to the Paramount Theatre in Huntington, um, New York, USA. We have a strange fight here. Chris Algieri, 21 and 3, returns to the ring after two and a half years out of it. He takes on Angel Hernandez, who's 14 and 11 with two draws. Hernandez, of his 11 losses, he's never been stopped. And obviously, Algieri's not the biggest puncher. So you'd expect this to go the full distance. It's a 10 rounder. So Algieri could even possibly um, be a little bit struggling towards the end of the fight. But, you know, I think his ability is on another level compared to this guy, but welcome back to the game, Algieri, from uh, from a world champion to a nutritionist, um, to, to being Daniel Jacobs' personal chef, and now he's back in the ring. I didn't think we'd see him again, but it's great to have him back, a good fighter he was. Um, moving out now to Quebec, Canada, at the Centre Videotron, we have over here Oscar Rivas, 24-0. He puts his NABF heavyweight title on the line against Fabio Maldonado, who's 26-0. It's really weird because um, Oscar Rivas is set to take on Brian Jennings in January, but he's in a fight here against an undefeated guy who's 26-0. Doesn't make any sense. Um 
Maybe one of the fights is going to fall through at the last minute. Not quite sure which one. But also on the bill, we have Alexander Teslenko, 14 and 0. He's in a six rounder against Edson Antonio, who's 40 and 7 with one draw. And then, really and truly, the main event, Adonis Stevenson, 29 and 1 with one draw. He takes on Alexander Gvozdik, who's 15 and 0. This one's for Stevenson's WBC World Light Heavyweight title. Um,. Gavod Stick's a good fighter, obviously, we know that, we've seen him a few times now. He's been not so impressive lately, though. I think there was a fight where he took on someone a couple of fights ago. He didn't look that great, but again, we've got to look at that 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 you know that win he's got over Chilemba, which of course happened a, a couple years ago now. And um, the way he beat Chilemba, then obviously Chilemba retired on his stall. That was a massive win because no one's ever stopped Chilemba even to this day. Um, I think he did injure his hand actually in that fight, Chilemba, but it doesn't really matter. It was a fantastic win on paper. But yeah, I mean he steps in here. I mean it's a, it's a bit quick really into his pro career. I think. But Adonis Stevenson, we always say he's he's pretty old. I think he's 42 years of age now, but he's still able to compete at a very high level. He had a fantastically close fight with Badu Jack last time out. It could have gone either way. It ended up being another draw. And um, yeah, you know, this is another fight for Adonis Stevenson, but one where I think he'll probably win. I mean, if he checks the chin of Gavozdik, then I think it's very it's very bad news for Gavozdik. I think, obviously, he's got such an extensive amateur background that he should have fought many, many, many Southpaw fighters that stand tall like Stevenson. But if he walks onto one, then it's lights out because Stevenson has got that freakish power. Although we didn't see it too much against Badu Jack, but Badu Jack's a phenomenal fighter. And Gavozdik may be a phenomenal fighter, but he's yet to prove it. And this is his chance, so it's a fantastic fight for me. But I'd have to favour Stevenson in the fight simply because he's fought at a higher level for a longer time. But it could be a passing of the torch moment here for a bit of a takeover at light heavyweight. We know that the Eastern Europeans are so dominant at light heavyweight. Uh, moving out now to Germany, we've got one fight to mention over here. Kevin Kingpin Johnson, 32-11 and 11 with one draw. He's in a six-rounder against a man who is yet to be announced. Also at the PGE Turo Arena in Poland, in a place called Zorgzlek, I think it said. Zorgzlek. We have... Ashley Fearfame, friend of the show, 44-8 and eight with one draw. The Paddington man's in an eight-rounder against Bakhtiar Izgandarzada, who has a record of 11-15. and 15. It's part of Ashley Fearfame's world tour. Um, moving now to York Hall, another friend of the show at Bethnal Green, London. Miles Shinquim, 14-4, gets that rematch against Joel McIntyre, 18-3. This one is for the vacant English light heavyweight title. All the very best to Miles Shinquim. I really, really hope he can win this fight. There's another cracking fight on the bill here. We've got Aussie Jervia, who hasn't got a great record. Six and five, but a very, very tough guy. Um, he fights for the vacant Southern Area Cruiserweight title against Dion Juma. I remember this guy was training with Adam Booth for a while, and I think he signed with the Sourlands, and he just pretty much disappeared off the face of the earth, and he came back. But he's a decent fighter, Juma, and this is quite a tough test for him. He's 10-0, and 0, but that's a brilliant 10-round fight there. We've also got Linus Eudofia, 10-0. He's in an eight-round contest against Michael Gazdick, who's got a record of 3-0, so two undefeated fighters there. There's a few decent fights on this bill, I've got to be honest. Usually you see these York Hall cards with like 15 fights on it, and it's all against journeymen, but this is a very competitive card. I think there's about five or six real good 
looking fights on paper. Um, Kevin Campion to blame for that. Very good matchmaker in my opinion. And moving out now to the Staples Center. In fact, let's get on to that last, the, the Fury Wilder card. Moving out to the Entertainment and Sports Arena in Washington, USA. We've got the return of Dusty Hernandez Harrison, a man that's been on this show. He's record 30-0 and with one draw. He's been out of the ring for over two years. He's in a 10-rounder against James Winchester, who's got a record of 20-13. and 13. Welcome back, Dusty. Um, a very good fighter, actually. Um, a fighter that was world-ranked, I think. I think he was being moved up the IBF route. I think he was like... Um, I think he was ranked in the top 10 when Kell Brook had the IBF title, and then obviously he's lost it, and Harrison hasn't been in a ring, so he's going to have to really fight to try and get his rankings back. But yeah, he's on that bill. He tops that bill there. And then, like I say, the final bill to mention, we just mentioned it just briefly there. It is Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury. It is their show. But let's start with the undercard. Obviously, the fight is happening at the very famous... Staples Center, Los Angeles, California, USA. And um, as I say, we start with the undercard here. We've got Anthony Yard in a 10-rounder. His opponent yet to be announced. His record 17-0. We've got Isaac Lowe, 15-0 with three draws. Both these guys, friends of the show. Um, he takes on Lucas Baez, who's got a record of 34-16 and 16 with five draws. This guy's had 55 fights. Isaac Lowe's only had 18. All the very best to Isaac Lowe. That's an eight-rounder there. Uh, we were supposed to see Julio Cesar Chavez Jr. fight on this bill, but he got pulled off of it. And in stepped Julian J. Rock Williams, another friend of the show. His record, 25-1 and one with one draw. That one loss came to Jamal Charlo, the one that's moved up now to middleweight. He takes on Francisco Castro, who's 28-8. and eight. That's an eight-rounder there. Robert the Ghost Guerrero, last seen in a ring against Omar Figueroa when he got stopped. He gets in. He returns from retirement out of nowhere. The Ghost is back, 33-6 and six with one draw. This is his 41st fight against Adam Mate who's got a record of 28 and 12. That's an eight-rounder there. We also have Jesse Bam Rodriguez, 7-0. A very good prospect. Chris Ariola, 36-5 with one draw. He's in an eight-rounder against Lorenzo Smith, who's 20-10 and 10 with four draws. Joe Joyce, 6-0. He's in a 10-rounder against Joe Hanks, 23-2. This is such a stacked card in terms of the names. I mean, Joe Joyce, like I say, gets in against Joe Hanks. And Joe Hanks is a guy that... I'm going to give him a bit of credit here. I mean, he's a decent fighter. I've seen him fight once or twice. He's a decent fighter. He got knocked out in four rounds, a TKO against Andy Ruiz Jr. back in 2013. And he hasn't been all that active since then, really. He's only had three fights in five years. So that's not fantastic. And one of those was a majority decision loss to Derek Rossi. But he's not a bad fighter. He's decent to a certain level. Obviously, he's got more you know, more rounds as a professional under his belt than Joe Joyce, who's won every fight by knockout. But I'm expecting another demolition job from Joe Joyce there. Moving up the bill once again, Lewis Ortiz, 29-1. and He's in a 10-rounder against friend of the show, Travis Kaufman, 32-2. and um, What a fight that's going to be. I mean, Kaufman's been crying out for a big fight for a long, long time. He's had a couple of controversial moments in his boxing career, um, but he takes on Lewis Ortiz. I mean, it's one of the best fighters in the heavyweight division. Um, we're going to go to the predictions on this, Ayaz. Lewis Ortiz, I mean good fighter but he is getting old now is this the time for Travis Kaufman to take over a very confident heavyweight fighter with a lot of self-belief well I think I think this is gonna be a good fight um obviously for Travis Kaufman but I think first from my point of view I think Lewis Ortiz is gonna win the fight I think with Lewis Ortiz even though he's getting even though he's getting even though he's aging 
I think I think he's still he's still a big name in the division, so I think he's going to win this fight by points. Luis Ortiz points. All right, I'm going to go. I feel very bad for going against Travis Kaufman here. I'd love to see him win. Don't don't you know? Don't get that wrong. But I think Ortiz will probably stop him. And the listeners have gone with Ortiz to win by stoppage also. Uh, moving up the card once again, we've got Jarrett Hurd, 22-0. He puts his IBF, IBO, and WBA super world, super welterweight titles uh, on the line. He takes on Jason Wellborn, a man that has only just beaten Tommy Langford. It was obviously two back-to-back fights with Tommy Langford. And he's come out on top both times, um, dropping Langford along the way. His record, 24-6. and does he win the fight, though, against Jarrett Hurd, Ayaz, or is it a step too far for him? Uh, that's a good fight for Jarrett Hurd. So I think, uh, in my opinion, I'm going to go for Jarrett Hurd to win by knockout. Yeah, I have to say the same. I mean, Jason Wellborn, he's lost at domestic level, and Jarrett Hurd is arguably the number one man at 154. I mean, it's out of him and Jamel Charlo, I'd say. He beat Lara in the unification fight. He's doing all the right things, and for me, I think he stops Wellborn within about four rounds. I think it's a horrific mismatch, to be honest. And the main event now, we're saving the very best till last. Deontay Wilder, 40-0, puts his WBC World Heavyweight crown on the line against our very own Tyson Fury, 27-0. Both men's record combined, 67-0. and The lineal champion versus the WBC champion, I as. Um, I'm going to go in real depth on this, on this fight here. So do you want to go first or do you want me to go? Me, I'll go first. Um, I think this is a very this is I think this is a tough tough fight. Obviously, we just we've seen uh, Fury coming off after a long layoff and he's fought two fights. A lot of people are already writing off Fury because he's fought uh, Pinata Pinata and who's that fight before? Sefer Seferi. Sefer Seferi. So a lot of people are writing them off, and a lot of people said they should have had one more fight. Um, but I I mean Tyson Fury is unpredictable. I mean a lot of people written him off when he fought Vladimir Klitschko. Um, a lot of people said that, yeah, he's going to get knocked out. A lot of people are saying to him, like, oh, yeah, uh, Deontay Wilder is going to stop him. Let me say something. A boxer can beat a puncher. Ta- Deontay Wilder is a puncher. Fury is an actual boxer. Um, Fury's got an eight, 19 knockouts, right? And with Fury, he can switch to southpaw to orthodox, swipe southpaw to orthodox. He, he can confuse boxers. And someone like Deontay Wilder, when I remember watching his fight when he fought Gerald Washington, he was trying to swing that punch. And <laughs> he, he actually missed it, yeah? Um, but I think with this fight, I think Fury is gonna. I think Fury is gonna use boxing. Um, he's gonna be. He's gonna. I think he's gonna outbox him. And obviously, he's got. Um, he's got Ben Davidson in his trainer. Uh, he's got in his corner. He's got Freddie Roach in his corner, and he's got Ricky Hatton in his corner. And with me, uh, with this fight, I think it's gonna be a tough, tough fight. But I think Fury's gonna nick. I think Fury's gonna nick it and win it on points. I think Fury's gonna win this fight this Saturday. And I'm hoping. Obviously, he's not. He's just a. He's not just a Brit, uh, he's a Brit, but also he's a good fighter, and I think that he deserved to win this fight. The hardest battle is that he's, when he went through, like, um, nearly uh, regarding this alcohol problem that he had and trying to kill himself at one point. But I think, yeah, this is, uh, this is the time for Fury to win and put a big, big statement in the heavyweight division and reclaim that title. The only title that he hasn't won as of yet. I would absolutely love to see Fury win. I would like nothing more than Fury to win. I mean, it would actually complete my Christmas. You know what I'm saying? It'd be the 1st of December, and I'd already feel like Christmas has come. Um, I would love him to win. Um, We've got to look at this now. I mean, you mentioned there about, about Vladimir Klitschko. No one really gave him a prayer in that fight. 
I've always said it. I'm one of Fury's biggest fans. Like, I'm really one of Fury's biggest fans. I'm not joking. Me and the Stig, we love Fury, okay? And I, I absolutely love Fury. I pick him over everyone. Um, I did not give him a prayer against Vladimir Klitschko. I thought that Klitschko would knock him out. You know, I had money on Klitschko to knock him out. I was watching it biting my nails, hoping he didn't. But it was one of those fights, and I've done this a few times, where I put money on the guy that I don't want to win because I think he's going to win. And if I lose my money, then I'm happy because I love the guy that I'm not backing to beat in terms of my bet. Do you understand what I mean? Like, I'd love Fury to win. This is what happened against Klitschko. I, I backed... Um, Klitschko to win on, you know, in, in the bookies, I, I put money on him, and if he would have won, then I'd have won some money, I'd have been pretty happy with that, but I'd have been gutted for Fury, but even more than that, I wanted Fury to win, forget about the money, I wanted Fury to win, I wouldn't have cared about the money if Fury would have won the fight, and that's what happened, I lost my money, I don't even remember what it was now, I can't even remember how much money it was, forget about the money, all that mattered is that Tyson Fury became heavyweight champion that night, and put an end to the unbelievably dominant reign that that Vladimir Klitschko had in the heavyweight division. And obviously after that, everything went downhill for Tyson. And if you haven't listened, and I don't want to plug any other boxing podcast because, you know, this is the best boxing podcast, in my opinion, out there and, you know, in a lot of other people's opinions. But you must listen to his interview that he did on the Joe Rogan podcast when he really opens up. It's an absolute must listen, especially if you're thinking about watching the fight this Saturday night. Please listen to that before the fight, because it's no good after the fight. If you listen to that, he will have you believing that he's going to beat Wilder. Now, the problem is, obviously, he's abused his body in that time, and he ballooned up in weight, and he's done insane things to lose that weight. It is remarkable. He's a freak of nature, Tyson Fury. But there's a there's a big difference between Vladimir Klitschko and Deontay Wilder. First thing, Vladimir Klitschko is a much better boxer than Wilder. Second thing, in my honest opinion, I think that Vladimir Klitschko is a bigger puncher than Wilder. And I say that because look at the people he knocked out to the people that Wilder's knocked out. I mean, Wilder couldn't couldn't put Stiverna away in the first fight. You know, he did him in the second fight when Stiverna had been out of the ring for so long. But if you actually look and see who Wilder's knocked out, his best knockout is a very old version of Luis Ortiz. And aside from that, he's knocked out so many subpar opponents along the way. He's got to 40-0 with, with probably taken about three risks or four risks in his whole 40-fight career. He's probably took about three or four risks. And, um, you know... We didn't see that with Vladimir. Vladimir took on good fighter after good fighter, you know, world contender after world contender, true mandatories. He took them on, he knocked them out, and he was so dominant. But the thing about um, about Vladimir is, Vladimir was such a clever boxer. He wasn't just clever offensively, but he was also extremely clever defensively. So he knew that if he's in one position and he throws a certain punch, he knows the opening that he's going to leave if someone times a shot. He knows what openings he's leaving, okay? And he felt so uncomfortable against Tyson Fury, he did not have a chance to set himself, get his feet in position and throw the right shots. He did not do it. Fury literally took his right hand away from him, and all he had was a jab against a man that was much taller than him, who was going in both stances and wouldn't stand still for any second of a fight. He was moving all over the place, Tyson Fury, in that fight in Dusseldorf. And um, the way he fought Vladimir Klitschko was unbelievable. Can we see the same performance I'm not a million percent sure. I'm not a million percent sure. That was before Fury abused his body, and he was very active at the time, yeah? So... You've got to take that into account. 
But if he was able to fight the exact same way, would that work against Wilder? I'm not a million percent sure it, it would. And I say this because, like I say, Vladimir Klitschko was so defensively aware that he would not take a risk and throw a crazy shot. He would never, ever, ever, ever get desperate. Klitschko has never, ever got desperate. Since he first got knocked out, I think it was, I think it was the second, second loss he ever had. He never, ever got desperate after that. He was so defensive-minded, and it worked, and he went on to dominate. But Wilder doesn't know much about ring IQ. Wilder doesn't have a great ring IQ. So Wilder doesn't even know when he's in range. Wilder doesn't know what shot to throw at what time he's completely he acts on impulse he's he's nothing's planned about him i truly believe he goes into fights with no game plan at all he will get outboxed and schooled for every single second of every round until he lands that punch and i just think that fury can he go 12 rounds without tiring at all can he go 12 rounds and keep moving and not take one right hand the whole fight I don't think he can. That is the problem. I don't think he can. I think the minute Wilder lands on his chin, and not just his chin, anyone's chin, if Wilder lands on your chin, it's over. He can knock anything out. He really can punch. Very wild puncher Wilder is. But I don't think he needs to set himself. I don't think if he's losing after six rounds that he's going to think, oh, I can't do anything reckless because I might get caught. You know, I'm, I'm thinking so much defensively. No, he's not Vladimir Klitschko. Klitschko wouldn't take any risks. And because he couldn't set himself, he didn't do anything. And Wilder... He hasn't got enough respect for the science of boxing. He will do anything to get that knockout. He will be chasing it up until the 12th round. That's all he's going to do. He knows. He's not stupid, Wilder. As much as his ring IQ is not great, he's not a stupid fighter. He's not a stupid man. He's a, he's a clever man. And he knows he is no way going to outbox Fury. He knows it. He knows it. If you ask him, he's going to say he's going to knock Fury out. There's no way he thinks he's going to beat him on points. It's not happening. He can't hang with Fury in a boxing fight, you know, in a, in a boxing match. But he's got that, that one-punch finisher, and that's all it's going to be. So my answer, to, you know, I don't want to go off too much on this, but my answer to this is Fury will win every single round until he gets caught. I don't believe that Fury can last a whole 12 rounds without getting caught once by a right hand. And when he gets caught, it's over because he's got that scary, freakish power. And that's it. So Fury will win every single second of everything until he gets tired or until he walks into one. If he gets tired, then it's it's time to literally pick up your phone and get your in-play betting going. Because if he gets tired, you can't afford to get tired. Wilder is always in phenomenal, phenomenal shape. He's a fantastic athlete. He's super, super fit. And, you know, his fitness really showed against all tears when he took some punishment. I don't think that Fury's got the punch power to necessarily keep Wilder off of him. So I don't think that Fury should be the one being aggressive, I don't think he should be coming forward, I think Fury needs to box and move and keep it off the jab and fight on the outside, Fury is pretty good up close, but I don't think you want to take that risk against Deontay Wilder, I don't think you, you should do that, because Wilder will just take a step back and then step back in with a big overhand right, and that could be it, he's so unorthodox, he's so reckless, he's so wild, and um, that's just the one thing, his, his punch has bowed him out of fights many, 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 many times, and it will continue to do so should he win on Saturday night. Um, you know, I think the Fury's got the beating of him, of course, but like I say, 
Um, if he gets caught, then I think it's lights out, and that's the end of that. So I just hope that Fury can keep him at bay for the whole 12 rounds, but it's a real task. It really, really is. Um, I hope that he goes into Southpaw, because I hope that Luis Ortiz showed something right there that, you know, Wilder seemed to struggle with Luis Ortiz. Luis Ortiz has got a good chin, though. Probably a better one than Fury, in all honesty. But um, I think he showed that Wilder wasn't overly comfortable with a southpaw. And how he's going to fare against a six foot nine southpaw is a whole different thing. So hopefully, and I think we will see Fury coming out in southpaw, trying to keep it long. But if he gets caught, it's over. So for me, I just simply don't think that he can stay away from that right hand for 36 minutes. I just think that's too long. And it's not just because it's Fury. It's anyone. I don't think anyone can stay away. for Apart from Stavern in their first fight, he stayed away. But listen, 38 other people that he fought, none of them could stay away from that right hand. And even though Fury's a fantastic mover, I think it's a little bit too early. Even his own father said it's a little bit too early for him, they feel. It, it makes the fight a lot closer. And I think that, if it happened before, then I would have gave Fury a massive uh, a massive chance, a bigger chance to win. But for me, I just don't think Fury can stay away for the full 12 rounds. So I think that Wilder will catch him at one point and unfortunately stop him. But I would love to be wrong. Um, but that's my prediction. I'm going to go Wilder stoppage. You've gone with Fury points or stoppage, I ask. Remind me once again. Points. Fury points and so have the listeners. So this time, I really hope that you guys both win and I get it wrong. But... I just think Wilder won't have the respect. I think Fury's power won't necessarily keep Wilder off him, and I think at some point Wilder will go, "Whoa, I'm a few rounds down. I'm a few rounds down now. Let me get reckless and let me just go for it." And he won't be worried about what's coming back at him, unlike um, unlike Vladimir Klitschko in Dusseldorf. So that's my prediction. I hope I'm wrong, and. Um, that's really about all for the preview part of the show. Sorry to end it on a little bit of a downer there. Believe me, I hope I'm wrong, but we've brought you the review. We've brought you the preview. We've brought you guest number one. We brought you the news. I as did fantastic there. And just before we wrap up part two and ultimately end the show, it's now time to welcome our second and final guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the 2016 Olympian and undefeated Commonwealth welterweight champion. It is, of course, Mr. Josh Kelly. Josh, welcome back on the show. You all right, man? How's things? You good? All good, my friend. All good. Even better now that you're on. So we last spoke just after that Carlos Molina fight, actually. So quite a while ago, Josh. Obviously, since then, yeah. you've racked up another two wins. You've become the Commonwealth champion. Now, I just want to talk, you know, one or two words on that on that Chris George fight. Obviously, you yeah. made him retire in his corner after seven rounds. And if you look at that yeah. and compare it to George's other loss, which come to Kanzu, who, you know, casual fans wouldn't know but Kanzu is a world ranked fighter um, you know he went the distance with the guy and you made exactly. him retire after six rounds yeah. I mean that's a statement right there it is mate I mean I, obviously I think he had a hand, I think he had a hand, hand injury and he had something I think he might have had a broken jaw he might have suffered a broken jaw as well but I mean I, f- I feel as though the writing's on the wall a little bit after say four rounds I thought I was, I was, I was just gradually getting into it and I, I was ready. I was ready to um, take him down the stretch and sort of open it up. Then anyway, so I was looking. I was looking for a stoppage since since stepped in the ring. So it was um, it all went to plan nicely. 
Yeah, but like I said, that Kanzu that he fought, I think it was like a 10-rounder that they fought, and I think Kanzu won six rounds, this guy won four rounds, so it's a close fight, that one loss before you before you fought him. Now, that, that's what I sometimes like to do. I like to dig a little bit deeper sometimes into people's yeah. wins and losses, and um, yeah. yeah, I don't think I don't think many people realised how good Chris George was. Um then of course no. the other week the other week Josh you've been pretty busy you took on um Walter Castillo and like George yeah. like George he'd never been stopped you absolutely destroyed no. him in the first round it yeah. was over before you knew it yeah it was sort of in and out I didn't actually I didn't expect that myself to be fair I went in and I mean I've been working a lot on um set my feet and starting to dig the punches in a little bit I didn't fully fully get the power in where I wanted but I was sort of I was sort of chugging towards the end instead of taking him single shots and really um, going through with the shot but I mean it went it went the best he could um, I looked into him like you said I do I do over to my opponents as well I looked into him and seen that he'd, he'd never he'd never been stopped and he boxed, a, he boxed a, a few decent tough Argentinians so it was just one of them things where it was like right that's another box kick well, on to the next one. And on to the next one. It really was immediately after the fight. Your next fight got announced. You'll be fighting David Avanesian on December 8th. So next weekend. Yeah. What do you know about David, Josh? I'm guessing you possibly sparred him before. No, I actually haven't, you know. I haven't. I know a lot of people have. Um, but I haven't done anything. Well, man, I've, I've heard his name about I've, uh, I know who he is. I've done, obviously, I, I, I do on every opponent doing me do to and so on and then. I know a lot about him. Um, good, strong, sturdy opponent, and he's gonna he's gonna bring the best out of me. But I feel it's gonna be a night to enjoy for myself. And I've seen people in the past try and knock David's credentials, but in my honest opinion, I've always rated him. Perhaps he's not elite yeah. level, but he's certainly fringe world level. And fringe world level is a place that many people believe you'll be greater than. So this is, of course, your chance here to make a statement. That's it. That this could be. A fight was sort of, in a sense, a breakout fight, which gets everyone's attention in the welterweight division. But I might put a show on. I might do what I do. I feel as though I'm too young. I'm, I'm, I'm too fresh. I've got, at the moment, I've got too much going in my favour. I mean, obviously, these sides want to disagree, but I'm just looking at facts and, um, and the way I'm feeling in this camp is just tremendous. I'm feeling so fast and powerful, so. I can't wait to put a show on. It's going to be a night and enjoy on, on the 8th in, in Sheffield. And obviously, David's win over Shane Mosley was his career highlight. I remember watching that yeah. fight. He did very well there. He then went on to have yeah. a very close fight with Lamont Peterson. Obviously, yeah. the only real bad loss he had was to Kavalowskis back in February. Have you seen that fight? Yeah. I know that Adam would have seen it. Yeah, I've watched that fight. I know Kavalowskis from amateur days. Um, I know he's boxed a few people who I know of. I know, I know. Kavalaskis isn't supposed to be quite our puncher as well. So, to be fair, he, um, he, I think he would see that when when he when he got in the ring, David sort of took the took, took the boxing a little bit. But I mean, um, Kavalaskis, look, he looks he looks at his hard and sturdy. He's got good timing. Um, his feet his feet are not the quickest, but and he seems to meet up with that. Which we said is the way he timed the shot, the right hand, but. I mean, it's one of them things. Yeah, I've, um, I feel as I've got, a, I've got, I've got the tools to, to deal with these guys, but it's just showing them on the night. And 
the same the eighth, I will, I will definitely be doing that. And Adam Booth is a very meticulous trainer. I really do rate him as yeah. probably the best trainer in the UK. I think he's extremely intelligent and his ring IQ is on yeah. another level. And for him to yeah. come out and make a statement um, that he did, I think, a few weeks ago when he said that he would really put you in with Kel or Amir now, I mean, yeah. that's that's pretty crazy. For him to say that, it almost seems like it's, it's very out of character unless he truly, truly believes in you. Because I think if... If, if you'd have probably asked him that question, or if anyone would have asked him that question six months ago, he knows his stuff. He would have said, well, not just yet, but he's come out yeah. and said that. How does it feel to kind of be let off the leash a little bit, which I know you've been raring to, to, to yeah. be let off the leash for a while? Yeah, it feels good, you know. It feels good. It feels like it's where I'm supposed to be. I want to be tested. I want to be in, I want to be in with the best. I want to test myself. I'm just... Look, the amateurs are the amateurs, and the professionals are the professionals. Two total different games. The best and the professionals weren't necessarily the best in the amateurs. And a lot of things have come to light lately with the Olympians turning over and seeing who's sort of progressing. And I know myself where I'm at, and I know how much I suit this professional game. And look, if Adam thinks I can move that fast, I've got full trust in him. He doesn't need to move me faster than I need to move. So... At the end of the day, well, what's what's he in the rush for? He doesn't want to rush me for anything. He doesn't want to rush me. But what would it, it wouldn't make sense to rush me in a fight and get myself get beat when I've got potential to go to sort of third round down the line, get them fights and, and be better for it. So if he believes that I'm truly ready, I'm believing myself 100%. So that's the way we're looking at things now. I think it was like music to all boxing fans' ears when they heard him say that. Now, on a slightly bit of a negative note, your gym mate Ryan Burnett crashed out of the World Boxing Super Series with a freak injury the other week. Have you got any kind of update on him? How is he? Have you spoken to him at all, Josh? I mean, Ryan keeps himself quiet when he's out of camp, but I spoke to him briefly after, and it's, it's hard for him, mate. I would have been on. I think he sort of, he's, got, he's got over it in a sense now because, in a way, in a lot of our eyes, he didn't really he lost the fight, but he didn't really lose the fight. He lost the fight. He was he was in my mind, in my eyes it looked like um he was shorter winning them rounds nicely. I know Donair would have probably upped the gears and it would have turned into more of a fight, but in my opinion I feel as your Ryan would have closed it out with a um point victory. So it's just one of them things. He's 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 a proud man but he keeps his head high. He keeps positive. I think he'll be in the in the gym early next year, and then he get cranking again. Yeah, we really do hope that he can get back to his best. And also, obviously, you're ranked now at number eleven with the WBA. Your stablemate Connor Ben is ranked yeah. at number ten. A lot of people were a little stable bit... mate. Well, promotional stablemate. That's what I'm yeah. saying. Um, you yeah. know, a, a lot of people was kind of scratching their heads when they saw that he was ranked above you. And I've got to now ask because you're ten and eleven. Is that a potential fight that can end up happening next year at some point? Look, if the names that I'm mixing in with at the moment um, say where, where I want to be. If that fight comes, it comes. So that's all I have to say about that, really. We, 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 I think, like you said, everyone looking on it, just let Connor do his thing, get the way he needs to be, let me do my thing, get the way I want to be. And then, if we're still if we're still there and there about in a year's time or where whenever Eddie wants to meet the fight, then or if it ever comes about then it happens. But end of the day, I'm on my journey and if that happens to collide with it is, then 
so be it. Do you know what I mean? It's one of them things. It's boxing at the end of the day, and I'm I'm down to fight anyone. Two big fan bases would be involved in that one. But another thing that's happened since we last spoke, Josh, you've become a father now. How's parenthood treating you? <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's good. Um, Mrs. is doing most of the late nights at the moment since I'm in camp. So she's, um, she's took over that part, which is uh, a blessing. I feel blessed after looking after the baby and taking taking um, taking over. So she's holding it down here in, the, in the, our little camp. So... I'm getting all the rest I need, and oh, I feel blessed. It's just putting, put a short of spring on my step. Yeah, for sure. And and the it's it's a baby boy, right? It's a baby boy, special. What's the name, Josh? <laughs> Josh, Josh Junior. So That's what I thought. JJ. Yeah. That's what uh, I thought. Because we had um we interviewed Gavin McDonald a little while back, and he had a kid that was due, and he decided to call his kid Lennox after Lennox Lewis. Lennox. So you've, you've kept what it a nice. name! What the shout! There you what go. The shout. <laughs> you've kept it nice and original though you've kept it nice and original and finally the, the last proper question for you Josh Wilder versus Fury this weekend is finally happening a fight that I've been buzzing for for a long time I'm sure you yeah. you share that opinion what's your final prediction what happens mm, this is one of the hardest questions to answer really because it's a story of two tales really with, with, with how the fight goes and how it progresses I mean, it's surely Wilder. Fury, it's surely Fury points or Wilder knockout, though, right? That's it. That's it. That's what everyone thinks. Yeah. But then, on the other hand, if it goes past six rounds and Wilder's give it everything, does Fury then take him off and eventually stop him? Because, uh, because in my opinion, it doesn't matter if you can punch it, you can't put it everywhere. Every heavyweight can deliver a hard shot enough to be able to shake anyone. So that's my opinion. I feel as though... I feel it's not only opinionated, but I think it's quite factual. To be fair, it just shows you through history. I mean, the, the, when the big boys hit each other, they both got enough power to put it each other away. But like you said, the general prediction is Wilder early or Fury day. So I'll probably um, Fury point. Sorry, I'll probably stick to that. Generally speaking, but I mean, I've got, I've, I've a couple of different things have crossed my mind. I always think of the unpredictable things. I always think. Does does Wilder come out not throwing punches and does he just out try and outbox Fury, which in my opinion would probably be a mistake, but does he do that and does he go punch Wilder or does Fury come out and land early and that's just it's all it's all questions you're asking yourself, but Saturday they're all gonna be answered. The heavyweight division the most unpredictable. Yeah. For sure. You know that. Has Adam said anything about it without going off in a different direction? Does he? Has he said who he thinks wins? Yeah, no, we haven't really spoke. We haven't really spoke. Well, we've, we've been excited for it. Don't get us wrong, but since the, since everything's been happening, the baby and uh, like different things, we've just been fortunate now in. But this Saturday night, I think we'll all we'll all get together. Me, Adam, Michael, all the all the boys, the boxing lads, and we'll sit there and watch it, enjoy it. Excellent. And finally, Josh, have you got any last words just before we let you go? No, just um, I'm just blessed with the support I'm getting recently, and everyone who's following us and just supporting us is just that's crazy. I mean, it's uh, hopefully it can show some more support when when I um, win on December the eighth, and then it's going to be just a night of enjoy. It's going to be such a good night. I just feel it. So yeah. That's it, really. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. 
<laughs> right, Josh, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, my friend. I remember the first interview oh, we oh. ever did, and since then, you've gone on to become more and more of a star, but you've always still been so easy to access for me, so I'd like to thank you for that. I appreciate it. Don't change, and best of luck on December 8th. No, thank you, mate. Cheers. All good. See you later, brother. Okay, and now it's time to wrap up episode 163 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I as Sumra has been I as Sumra. A massive thank you to our two guests on this week's show. Both men will be sharing a fight card next weekend in Sheffield on the Kelbrook undercard. The undefeated Josh Kelly and the undefeated John O'Carroll. One last fact on the Fury versus Wilder fight is Fury, remember, put to bed Vladimir Klitschko's undefeated streak. He ended it after 11 years of world level dominance from Vladimir Klitschko although Deontay Wilder hasn't been a world champion he's also been undefeated since his debut back in 2008 10 years ago this month can Fury end Deontay Wilder's 10 year undefeated streak also meaning that he would have ended in total 21 years of dominance by two heavyweight world champions it's never been done before and it never ever will be done again in my opinion if he wins if fury wins open up the hall of fame books right now he goes down as an all-time great for me the prediction league currently stands at myself in the lead on 76 points i as and you the listeners are tied on 71 points best of luck to everybody enjoy your weekends people i'm sure that you will thank you all for listening stay safe and we'll see you all again next week